U.S. politics have flip-flopped since our revolutionary beginnings. The United States was originally famous as a haven for immigrants with any religion or none precisely because it wasn't founded on any one. Now the religious right is trying to say that America was founded as a Christian country, but the fact is that while we have become the most religious of any of the predominantly Christian first world nations due to repeated surges in rural revivalism, the U.S. in its infancy was once the most secular government in history. The original colonies were primarily peopled by refugees fleeing religious persecution in other countries, but almost upon arrival the Puritans only continued that practice against native shaman, then against Quakers, and even each other over religious differences. Catholics to the south were even worse. The founding fathers, however, were largely deists, the least devout form of theism. They were brilliant men who knew better than to let religion rule over law because theocracy has, in all instances, almost automatically violated human rights and it inevitably always does. Consequently, the irreligious and non-Christian framers of the American Constitution produced the first government ever to grant all its citizens the right to religious freedom, and they did so by forbidding the government from sponsoring or promoting one religion over any other because it is not possible to have freedom of religion without having freedom from religion. Creationists campaign continuously to overturn that, trying to undermine science education and teach their particular Bible-based religious beliefs in its place by pretending that creationism is science too. They know it isn't, but they say it is anyway. So far they've been beaten in the courts on every attempt because they're not trying to teach better science, nor any alternative science. Most of them don't want students to learn science at all. They want to impose their religion instead. They don't want to educate, they want to indoctrinate. And they want the government to support them in public schools because they're intolerant of other views and they want to condition everyone else's children to believe as they do. Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? But America's pioneer concept of separating church from state still prohibits this. In 1987, creation science was outlawed in public schools as being exclusively religious and not scientific in any sense. And in 2005, it happened again. Since even intelligent design creationism cannot compete with evolution as a science, creationists try instead to evoke the same constitutional prohibitions against them and turn them against science by asserting that evolution is a religion too. They know it isn't, but they say it is anyway. And so we have the fifth in our series of fundamental falsehoods of creationism, the persistent insistence that perspectives opposed to faith and religion somehow still require faith as religion. A religion is not just any old thing you happen to believe, and it's not just anything you believe strongly, either. Every belief system which is commonly accepted as a religion by both its adherents and its critics is a doctrine of ritual traditions, ceremonies, mythology, and the associated dogma of faith-based belief systems, which all include the idea that some element of self, be it a soul or portion of consciousness or memories, etc., may in some sense continue beyond the death of the physical being. This applies to every religion and only to religion, but doesn't apply to evolution or atheists either, unless they happen to be druids or shaman or one of those other religions which don't happen to include gods. Some Buddhists believe in a god and some don't. Some traditional Chinese beliefs are the same way. Not all religions have creative deities, but every religion must propose something paranormal, beyond tangible existence which they believe will experience after we die. You can't posit something like that without faith, and if you don't have faith, you can't have religion. And when creationists complain about atheists, they're not talking about Buddhists or shaman. They're referring to material, empirical rationalists, people they know don't have any faith in anything supernatural at all, which only makes their lie that much more brazen. According to a consensus of every authoritative or definitive source available anywhere, including theologians, dictionaries, scriptures, hymns, sermons, 
everything. Faith can be accurately defined as a complete and unwavering conviction, a positive belief which is not dependent on evidence and will not change because of evidence. That is unreasonable and it's unscientific. That is the definition of blind faith. I believe something even though there is no evidence to support it. Faith is often a belief in things which are impossible according to everything we know about anything at all. The belief is sacred, meaning that it is never to be questioned or critically examined, but must be believed no matter what. Skeptical inquiry is strictly forbidden, and apologetics exists only to obligately rationalize away any criticisms so that they may be dismissed without consideration. In other words, faith assumes its own conclusions, believes impossible things without reason, and defends those beliefs against all reason to the contrary. So it can't help but be wrong to some degree to start with, and any errors won't even be acknowledged, much less sought out or corrected. So that situation can never improve. However wrong it already is, is however wrong it forever will be. So faith offers no way to discover the real truth about anything, but it's a great way to stay wrong forever and never admit it even to yourself. Science is completely opposite in every respect. Rather than any need to believe, science is driven by a desire to understand. And the only way to improve your understanding of anything is to seek out errors in your current position and correct them. You can't do that if you claim your initial assumptions are already infallible and you can't even begin to seek the truth if you won't admit that you might not already know it or that you don't know it all perfectly already. While scientists themselves may be religious men of many different faiths, their methodology was designed to be the antithesis of faith, because it requires that all assumptions be questioned, that all proposed explanations be based on demonstrable evidence, and that all hypotheses must be testable and potentially falsifiable. Blaming magic is never acceptable because miracles aren't explanations of any kind, and there has never been a single instance in history when assuming the supernatural has ever improved our understanding of anything. In fact, such excuses have only ever impeded our attempts at discovery. This is one of many reasons why science depends on methodological naturalism, because unlike religion, science demands some way to determine whose explanations are the more accurate and which changes would actually be corrections. Science is a self-correcting process which changes constantly because it's always improving. Only accurate information has practical application, so it doesn't matter what you want to believe. All that matters is why we should believe it too, and how accurate your perception can be shown to be. So you can't just make up stuff in science like you can in religion, because you have to substantiate everything, and you have to be able to defend it even against peers who may not want to believe as you do. Be prepared to convince them anyway. It's possible to do that in science, because science is based on reason. That means you must be ready to reject or correct whatever you hold true should you discover evidence against it. All this stands completely counter to faith, and religious assumptions cannot withstand any of these rigors. But evolution can, and does, and has. For 150 years so far, the greatest minds of the modern age have collectively failed to controvert the essence of evolution. It is a study which neither requires nor desires faith and doesn't even permit it, nor is it needed because evolution is easily indicated and evidenced, measured and tested myriad ways without it, and even against the harshest scrutiny. And remember that evidence must be objective, meaning that it can still be verified whether you want to believe in it or not. Evolution has all that in spades and is a unifying theory which has enhanced our knowledge of many different aspects of biology enormously, and that's why so many religious as well as non-religious scientists endorse it. Believe what you want about the supernatural realm, but those beliefs have to rely on faith because there's no way to know whether any of it is true or not, because science can't look at the metaphysical. It can only help us understand the material world we can actually study. So evolutionists may still believe in any religion they like. Lest we forget, when creationists complain about evolution, they're really complaining about science in general, both in principle and practice. Most Christians accept evolution, and some atheists do not. So evolution is not atheist. Creationists know it's not, but they say it is anyway. 
Creationists often say that secular humanism is recognized as a religion by law, and since they wrongly think atheism and what they call evolutionism are the same thing, then by extension they think that even rationalism should be considered a religion, that even anti-religion is religious. But of course they're wrong again on all counts. In the 1961 case of Torcaso versus Watkins, Roy Torcaso was denied his commission as notary public when he refused to declare a belief in God. At that time, the state of Maryland's Declaration of Rights required a declaration of belief in the existence of God as a qualification for any office of profit or trust in that state. The Supreme Court ruled that such requirements violated Article 6 of the United States Constitution as well as the First and Fourteenth Amendments. But the official ruling also included a series of footnotes called obiter dictum, or said in passing. These are only the personal opinions of the justice with no official or legal significance. In a dictum footnote attached to the opinion, Justice Hugo Black listed secular humanism along with ethical culture and Taoism as religions which do not teach a belief in God. The footnote is not legally binding, which is fortunate since none of those things really count as religion. Imagine attending the Church of Ethical Culture. So secular humanism is not a religion in any sense, legal or otherwise, and neither is atheism. Religion must include a professed conviction, and simply being unconvinced as to the real-life existence of what they see as mythical characters hardly counts as that. So atheism alone is no more a religion than health is a disease. One may as well argue over which brand of car pedestrians drive. Evolution is even less religious. It is the branch of biology that explains biodiversity. As such, it doesn't permit supernatural explanations, has no doctrines, nor dogma, nor fables with morals. It has no rituals, traditions, or holidays, nor either leaders or defenders of the faith, because it doesn't allow faith. It holds nothing sacred. There's no place of worship, no enchantments, no clergy, no fashion of garb. It neither promotes nor discourages belief in gods or souls. It says nothing about how we should live or what happens after we die. Evolution is therefore not a religion, and creationists know it's not, but they say it is anyway. It is fair to say that none of the people who deny evolution exhibit any understanding of what it is. But it's not always their fault, because many of the people promoting evolution don't know what it is either. Hollywood producers certainly don't. Are they the next link in the evolutionary chain, or simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? The word evolution simply means change over time. But in the context of science, that word refers to an aspect of biology. Specifically, it is a process of varying genetic frequencies among reproductive populations, leading to usually subtle changes in their morphological or physiological composition, which, when compiled over successive generations, can increase biodiversity when continuing variation between genetically isolated groups eventually lead to one or more descendant branches increasingly distinct from their ancestors or cousins. Or more simply, it is how life forms diversify via descent with modification. To put it another way, it is the method by which cats branched into so many different breeds within several distinct species in a half a dozen genera. Creationists usually accept that this happens, and sometimes they even accept how this happens, but they don't call it evolution because they've been conditioned to execrate that word and utter it only with a distasteful sneer. So they use other, safer words, but which don't mean quite the same thing. The problem creationists have with evolution is not that it challenges belief in God, because it doesn't. Their problem is that evolution, like every other field of science, challenges the accuracy and authority of the storybooks which creationists equate to God. Consequently, they tend to reject science almost entirely and will often take all of the sciences they perceive as threatening and lump them all together under one heading, which they then refer to as evolutionism. 
It's an attempt to minimize the sheer volume of sciences allied against them. This is also part of their intentionally erected illusion of equality, a false dichotomy that if their legendary folklore isn't the absolute authority being both literally and completely true, then God couldn't create or even exist any other way. Sometimes they'll say that if it wasn't that way, or if they couldn't believe that it was, then they'd all go mad and do terrible things to people just for the fun of it, as if causing people to suffer would be fun. It's a desperate and destitute delusion that if their legends aren't right, then nothing is right. So they insist that for evolution to be true at all, it must utterly replace God and account for everything they attribute to God. So whenever they meet someone trying to explain or endorse evolution, the first thing creationists may ask is where everything came from, not just living things, but all matter and energy in the universe, as if evolution should account for the origin of life, the universe, and everything. Both defendants and many of the leading proponents of intelligent design make a bedrock assumption which is utterly false. Their presupposition is that evolutionary theory is antithetical to a belief in the existence of a supreme being and to religion in general. To be sure, Darwin's theory of evolution is imperfect. However, the fact that a scientific theory cannot yet render an explanation on every point should not be used as a pretext to thrust an untestable alternative hypothesis grounded in religion into the science classroom or to misrepresent well-established scientific propositions. Creationists do deliberately misrepresent evolution many different ways in all of their arguments. Even when they know better, they still say that evolution necessarily requires the godless origin of life from inorganic matter. But it doesn't mean that, and never did. For one thing, all the building blocks of life were already organic long before the first organism, before anything could be considered alive. We've even detected vast amounts of organic matter in deep space. But creationists claim space evolved too, and that the Big Bang is part of the same evolutionary process as that which leads to new species on Earth. So they often say that evolution requires something coming from nothing, which is ironic, since creationists believe that themselves, while strict scientists do not. Obviously, no aspect of biology has anything to do with how the Earth formed or where anything else in the universe came from. It really doesn't matter how the cosmos came to be. It could be a steady state or a cyclic series of big bang and big crunch contractions or a one-time eruption from a string theorist's dimensional rift. It could even be magically conjured by the gods of creation. Or it could be some other method used by a more reasonable version of God. However the universe originated, it does not relate at all to how life evolved. Creationists habitually misdefine their terms and commonly insist that evolution means life from non-life. But of course that's not right either. Evolution explains how life diversifies, not how it began. Since evolution at every level is by definition limited to the variation of allele frequencies inherited over generations of living organisms, then it obviously can't operate where no genomes yet exist. The evolutionary process starts with genetics and can't start before it. So how the first genes came about may seem similar to evolution and may even involve a form of natural selection in some way, but it is in fact a very different chemical process called abiogenesis. Creationists also misrepresent hypotheses on the origin of life. They will use any parody they can to link it to evolution and make both sound ridiculous. And that isn't surprising considering how ridiculous their own position is. The most common fib they use here is to point to the complexity of any single eukaryotic cell and question how that could have poofed into being in its current state as if by magic from a rock or from mud. They often say that the evolutionist explanation for the origin of life is spontaneous generation, where already complex organisms somehow pop out of organic sludge fully formed. 
but of course the scientific perspective is nothing like that. It's a surprisingly intricate multi-stage sequence. Creationists obviously have no appreciation for how solid all our combined forensic sciences are, be it genetic orthologs confirming ancestral phylogenies which were once only indicated morphologically by determining derived cinepomorphies, or whether it is the several different kinds of radioactive decay rates which cross-confirm each other to produce the same consistent results once any variables are accounted for. Creationists often cite the laws of thermodynamics as if they could somehow apply to the diversification of life on Earth. They don't. Lord Kelvin, the scientist who discovered those laws, was a creationist himself. He was definitely opposed to evolution. But even he said that thermodynamics demands that the Earth would still have to be on the order of 20 to 40 million years old at least, even if the bowels of the world didn't continue to heat themselves radioactively, which of course they do, and that pushes the age back much further. But whether creationists accept any amount of proof against them or not, the fact is that everything we know about physics demands that the Earth be billions of years old. And according to every ounce of paleontological evidence anyone has ever dug up, there is every indication that the further back in time you look, the simpler and more similar things appear to be until there are only single cells, and prior to that there is no evident life of any kind at all. There were no primates 100 million years ago, and no mammals 200 million years ago, and no land animals at all 400 million years ago. 600 million years ago there weren't any fish or even bugs yet. We've never found any trace fossils for macroscopic life forms prior to 700 million years ago, but we have oodles of bacterial microfossils covering another 2.8 billion years prior to the first multicellular anythings we've ever found a trace of. The only possible conclusion we can draw from all that is that life was only microscopic and microbial for the first 80% of the history of life on this planet. Add to this the fact that organic molecules form naturally in all sorts of environments, and we know from the Urey-Miller experiment and from other discoveries that even the nucleotides required for genetic structure also form naturally even in the hostile environments we should expect of the prebiotic Earth. We also know through repeatable experiments how these can combine in the right common medium into polynucleotides and so on. Even Christian biologists admit that at its most basic, life is simply chemistry, and living tissues can form completely to those guidelines. The elements which form basic cell structures, for example, create a phospholipid bilayer automatically upon contact with water due to their combined polarity. Even the function of enzymes and transport vesicles and other minuscule but critical elements within a cell all conform to the functions of chemistry. Consequently, there are a number of competing concepts to explain exactly how the first replicative polymers led to the next stage, known as hypercycles, and then on to still more advanced stages before they qualify as life. Teams of biochemists around the world are still working out the long, complicated string of chemical combinations which began with simple and already self-replicating polymers and eventually led to the first metabolic cells capable of maintaining some level of homeostasis, a balanced internal environment. That is the definition of life. Viruses are not considered to be alive even though they can be killed because they lack metabolism, which is an independent internal chemical process. Protobionts, which biochemists propose, would be quasi-biotic cells very similar to viruses. But whether we're talking about fully living cells or not quite yet living cells, they are both driven by the natural functions of enzymes, chemical reactions, and molecular polarity. If there is any other aspect to life, science has yet to detect it, and if there is a supernatural component to life, science will never be able to detect it. Abiogenesis has a decent amount of evidence behind it, but nowhere near as much as evolution does. So far, we still don't know which, if any, of the explanations posed for the origin of life is the most accurate one. But if there's one thing the wisdom of the ages has taught us, it is that simply not yet knowing the real explanation is no reason to go and blame anything on magic. Besides, 
Even if a god did appear and summon the first life into being billions of years ago, there is still no question but that life has certainly evolved since then and is still evolving now.